right, today we're going to be doing session 11, I have seen. Session 11 is actually, if you go back in your book, those of you with the book, I think it's session 6. Because remember, they wanted to do the resurrection on Easter Sunday, but it was like way out of order. Well, we're finally there. So this is the like Easter Sunday lesson that would have been back then. So here we are at session 11 instead of session 6. Six weeks later, we're ready for it. We'll be in John chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 18. Now, I know it says, I have seen, but that's because that's the focus of this passage. Um, but remember, I want to talk about how it's the War of the Gardens ended. This is the end of the war in the gardens. We started with the Garden of Eden. That's where the war began. Man chose to follow what Satan was offering and become self-centered and not do what God wanted. That was the start of the war. Man versus God. Who's in charge? Me or God? And we run the whole Old Testament. We come to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where the pitched battle is. Because God sent his son as a man. And it's the war of his natures. He's fully God and will follow and do whatever God says. But he's fully man. And he doesn't want to have to deal with what's coming. In the war in the garden... Jesus submits to the Father and says, not my will, but yours. That's the pitched battle, because that's the pitched battle we fight every day. Are we going to live for Christ, or are we living for ourselves? And here's where it ends. We're now at the garden tomb, and the war is about to end, and Christ is about to win. And that's where we're at today. So with that, let us begin. We'll start with looking at the quote-unquote garden tomb um, from when I was in Israel. Um, there is the place that they believe is the tomb. There's actually two locations. We talked about that not last week, but the week before when we were having class, that there were two places that could have been Golgotha, one where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is, uh, and that the tomb is in the, in the vicinity of it. And then there's the, this is the traditional uh, place. The garden is beautiful. Um, I did not include all the flower picks. I took pictures of them because my wife loves flowers. And so I videoed and pictured the whole garden. I'm not going to show that. I'm just going to show oh. the. Yeah, there's some flowers here. This is the stone. When they talk about the stone rolling away, this is, this is what it looks like. Um, that stone is almost six foot tall, and you can see it's probably 18 inches thick. Uh, that ain't no light stone. You ain't gonna lift that. Yeah, you're not picking that up. I mean, it's rolled away, but this is this is the the stone. So when we talk about the stone was moved, and the women being worried about how they were gonna move the stone, um, yeah, there it is. So that's a stone. Now, this is going to be a video, so go ahead and, and pay attention. Um, we, we only could walk into the tomb for just a couple of seconds. I mean, the line, if you can imagine, we were there like early in the morning. The sun had just come up. Um, when we would start our tours, the, the people that were running our tour were, were like, you know, oh, dark 30, get on the bus to get wherever <laughs> we're going. Uh -huh. 
so that we could be early before all the crowds. Which was nice because it meant that we got more time in the site at the sites without all the crowds. But uh, yeah, it was early. So give up that early is not fun, right? How, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's actually it was nice because it was Israel is beautiful because it being eastward side, um, the sun comes up and it's yeah. So here we go. Here's the video. This is the tomb. You can see they got it fenced off where the body would have been laid. Um, Got cameras just in case. I don't want nobody desecrating it. And this is it. This is all it is. It's just a carved out stone box. And this is what, as we get into this, we're going to talk. We're going to see Mary looking in, Peter and John <coughs> coming in. That's what it is. That's what it looks like. It's a small entrance to the door. That stone would have been rolled across that door. And they would have been sealed in. Assuming it was the same tomb, when yeah. we were there, they did not have it fenced off. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. Oh, but it was. My it was guess is that they out. had something, some issue there. It's actually run by. Um, the whole garden area is run by a group out of. Um, England. No, well, um, Ireland. The, the gal we had was Irish, and, it, and there's an organization in Ireland that runs and maintains this as part of a World Heritage Site. Wow. Uh, yeah, which is really weird. You would think that Israel or, it wasn't even the Catholic Church. No, that was what it was, that, that was, it was really surprising. I was like, I bet oh, they're mad well, they made, lost all that money. <laughs> <laughs> the Jews wouldn't believe it and the Catholic Church probably couldn't monetize it, so they weren't interested. <laughs> ah, they do, they charge you to get into that garden, it ain't cheap. So I don't know, but that's why I was thinking, you know, Israel, I mean, come on, you want to make a, you got to make a buck. Yeah. Be vendors standing out there, you know, get your stones here. You know. <laughs> Chip away your stones here. Yeah, piece, right. piece of a rock. I, I don't know, but that's. They do it here. Piece of a rock. Yeah. Yeah, got it higher for people to walk in. No, I don't think so. But, I mean, it's been 2,000 years, and there have been how many, countless wars, so I don't know if it's the real tomb. It hasn't been rebuilt and redone, you know. Clearly, they painted occasionally. Um, but, it, but they did whitewash tombs, even in Jesus' day, so, I, yeah, I don't know. Gives us a good idea what it would look like. Right. I mean, really, that's that's what it is. I mean, if it's the real tomb or whatever. I mean, you got everybody, like, out there kneeling, and they're, they're standing in line doing the rosaries and, yeah. and all that. Actually, they have a mock-up of it next door where they built a building to make it feel like you're in the tomb. Um, and we went in there and we did communion that, because I think it was a Sunday morning we were there. Mm, yeah. um, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, we did communion actually in the garden. Yep, that is a, yeah, yeah, they've got a spot for it now. Yeah. That um, so that brings us to John chapter 20. Are there any questions about that before we move on? John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Uh, somebody go ahead and read these for us. And on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out, the other, so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they 
they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded it up in place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. But the disciples went back to their homes. Ain't technology great? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's like it's crazy. Only when it works. Only when it works. John records that it was Mary that came, Mary Magdalene came to them. Um, there's a lot of strange scholarship out there about the whole thing. Um, I don't know if you're aware. But in certain circles, and they're certainly not evangelicals, I'm not convinced they're even believers, they believe Jesus married Mary Magdalene. Yeah, that they I were, heard that. Yeah. yeah, that they were a couple and all that, and they point to a lot of this stuff with John. The thing that you need to understand is in the Gospel of John, when, when she's talking in this passage, everything is in the plural. So Mary is the one talking, but she's not saying that I didn't find the body. We didn't find the body. We went, and he's missing. And all the in Greek, the verbs match the nouns in um, complexity. So if it's single, it'll be a verb with a singular ending. When it's plural, it'll have a plural ending. So she's talking. She's using verbs with plurals. Meaning there was a group of them. She just happened to be the spokesman. Um, the reality is that she was likely the youngest of the group. Remember, two weeks ago we talked about who was at the cross. How many people were? How many women were at the cross? Two, three, four. Do we have consensus? Three or four. 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 Who were they? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary Magdalene. Salome. Salome. John, which would have been John's mother. Who was the other one? Martha? No. No. There was another Mary. Was it his mother's sister? Well, that it would have been that was Salome. Oh, okay. Yeah, there were four women. Three of them were named Mary. Um, so there was a group. There were four of them. Of those, I mean, you got Jesus's mother, her sister, which was John's mother, um, another Mary that was probably connected to them, and then Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was probably the youngest in the group, and probably outran them back to. To Peter and John, yeah. um, which is why John lists it that way because she's the one that came in and probably wasn't dying of trying to breathe, uh, <laughs> and so they took in his body and all that. So there is no issue. There's no secret. 
whatever. I mean, there, there's a lot of nonsense out there that people want to hoist upon uh, the unlearned, uh, which you'd be amazed at how many uh, people will buy into a lot of this. And of course, Hollywood has sensationalized it with the uh, Da Vinci Code. Um, and the like. So different Gospels even list different ones that are there. The Gospels talk about the women and certain ones list all four of them. Others list just two of them. My guess is that they were all there. Uh, let's see. So let's talk about she claims <laughs> that somebody stole the body. Culturally, there are issues with that. Remember that the, if we go back, I think it's Luke, the Pharisees were concerned that this would happen, mm -hmm. right? And then they, that they would claim that he rose from the dead, etc. And so they demanded that the emperor, not the emperor, but the uh, governor put his seal on that stone. Yeah. That they would wax it and seal it so that if it was broken, they would know. Um, and then they placed guards there. Well, we know that the there was an earthquake. The stone rolled away. And Jesus came out. The guards ran away. They tried to pay the guards off, tell them that his, that it was a band of his disciples. They came and stole him and all that. That's not here in John. But what we have is, is that they find that it's missing. Culturally speaking, stealing a body was a capital offense by decree of Emperor Claudius. It was a capital crime. That meant you would be executed, put likely on a cross, unless you were a Roman citizen, for stealing a body. It was illegal to steal a body. So for somebody to do this, it's penalty of death. Um, so that you know, that would be um, not a good thing. But we need to understand. Uh, the Jews, the Jewish perspective, because the Romans weren't stealing the body. The, the thought was, they, they, Mary thought the Pharisees stole the body, which would really be odd. But understand Jewish burial rituals. So Jewish people took the first seven days of mourning so seriously that mourners, so those that were mourning for the loss of the loved ones, could not wash, you didn't take a bath, you wouldn't work, you wouldn't have intercourse, you would not even take time to study the law. I mean, this is the Jews, these are the Pharisees. You wouldn't go to tabernacle or you wouldn't go to a synagogue and study the Torah for the first seven days at least because mourning is serious business. Um, Jewish culture was so serious about expressing rather than repressing grief that the body is missing and thus prevented them from bestowing final acts of love would have been regarded as an intolerable, tragic, um, even tomb robbers would usually leave the body behind. They may take everything else, but they would leave the body so the mourners could come and mourn. Um, this was considered intolerable. There's it would have never have entered the minds of the Pharisees or the Sadducees to steal the body. Because then there's the whole problem of touching it. It's a dead person. They would be ritually unclean, and it's very expensive to solve that problem. 
they just would not have done this. Um, then there's the fact that when we get to um, this whole thing where they get to the tomb, they look in and they see the wrappings. We need to understand what they're, because it doesn't, it's not translated well. The wrappings were laying there as if he somehow became translucent and they just fell. They're not, they're neat. They're like somebody had been there, but he's not there. He's not filling them anymore, so they just kind of collapse. And the face cloth is, is folded where the head would be. Understand, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the tomb, what happened? He came out in his cloth. He came out in his cloth. They had to, remember, Jesus' first words were what? Untie him. Untie him. Because they were wrapped, they, they were wrapped like mummies. They, they, so it's tied. There's strips of cloth that were tied around you. You, you were bound up. Um, this is... This is what they find. They look in the tomb. Everything's laying out as if he'd been there, as if his whole body had disappeared and then reappeared. Remember, he has a resurrected body, unlike Lazarus. Lazarus was raised from the dead. He wasn't resurrected. He was restored to his original body, whereas Jesus' body, and we'll see that in a minute because he's going to tell Mary, uh, don't touch me because I've been glorified. My, I have a new body. It's not, it's not the same. It's all changed and very different. Comment or question on that? I always found it interesting that the face cloth was folded. Right, as if he didn't need it anymore. Which is exactly the point. Particularly John is trying to make. He resurrected. He didn't return to life. This is all new. This is something that's never happened before. This is how the war is won. They killed him. He died. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but let's move on. If it'll go. There we go. Um, so we're still in part four of John, the Passion. And this is part of the suffering of Christ in our outline. They come and they examine the scene. Now, um, Peter and, and John have a little race. And John is the younger of the two. Um, they like to rib each other, obviously. Peter's a slacker. Peter's a slacker, yeah. So they race, and John gets there first. But John won't go in the tomb. Now, I've heard, you'd be amazed at some of the stuff that I read. Uh, they, they built this whole elaborate thing about John based on the fact that he didn't go in the tomb. First of all, what time is it? Early morning. It's early morning. It's probably somewhere around 5 o'clock in the morning. Sun hasn't come up. Palestine is down by the equator. Sun comes up around 6 and sets at 6. So sun's not up. They're running through the streets. They get there. Now, who do you think is carrying the torch? Probably Peter. John gets there. He's looking in the tomb, but he can't see anything. I just showed you those things. There's no light in there. They're pitch black. They're dark. John didn't go in the tomb. 
it probably had nothing to do with fear or any of the other things that people want to talk about. It's practical. He doesn't have a torch. He can't see anything. What would be the point of going in? You might stumble over something. The body might be lying right there. He doesn't want to hurt him. Uh, so he's waiting. Peter shows up. I he's got a torch. Dead, right? Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hurt himself. Right. Right. Shut up. So <laughs> Peter shows up. He's probably got the torch. Peter goes in because he's got the torch. He can see what's going on. Nobody's in there. And then John goes in later. Don't make more out of it than, than is really there. Let's let's keep it realistic and practical. There's, I, you'd be amazed at the, the, the ideas that people would build on something just like that. The tomb is found empty. So they come, they examine it. Yep, nobody in here. The grave clothes, they are left neat. So not only is he gone, but they left the grave clothes, which had it been tomb robbers, they would have taken the grave clothes. Those were worth something. The body wasn't worth anything. They would have left the body and taken the grave clothes. Um, so this whole thing would be backwards if it had been robbery. And then it tells us that John believed, but he did not understand. He didn't understand what was going on. Understanding is not going to come until later. But he believed Jesus was up and around somewhere. Somewhere Jesus was walking around town. Um, or at least that's what John believed. But he didn't understand the whole thing of the resurrection, at least not yet. Now, we're going to see here in a second how this pans out. But as we do, I would like to note... Um, It is highly significant that Christ appeared first to a woman and that his appearance is recorded by all four Gospels. It was not only to a woman, one who had been, one who in that culture had been oppressed. Remember, she had seven demons. But to a person who had known great sin. What a great comfort this should be to us. Christ always comes first to the poor in spirit. As we look at this, Mary Magdalene plays the central part in this. Jesus is going to appear to her before anybody else. And it is significant. He didn't go to Pilate and present himself and say, look, see, I told you. <laughs> he didn't come to his disciples. He comes to her and understand in Jewish culture, women could not be witnesses because their testimony was considered untrue because they were women. It's just the way the culture was. They were untrustworthy. They couldn't be relied upon. Clearly, <laughs> clearly uh, Jesus doesn't believe this because it's the first person he proclaims himself to. When we look at the resurrection, we know that he was raised from the dead with a glorified body and appeared to his disciples as the person who was with them before the crucifixion. This is a great doctrinal truth. This is a great doctrinal statement. He was raised from the dead, not in the body he had that died but with the new body, the body that we've been promised 
when we're resurrected, we see this here, and this is the winning of the war of the gardens. Death is defeated. Yes, he died, but death didn't hold him, did it? See, that's how the war ends. Satan thought he had him trapped. He corners him, gets him in the garden. He's got everything stacked against him. Haul him off to the religious leaders. Yep, they've got people willing to lie, cheat, make up everything. He's guilty. See, he's guilty. They drag him off to the civil court, to the Romans, and he's greeted by complete apathy. Whatever, whatever you people want, just do with him. I don't care anymore. Uh, and they, Satan is laughing all the way to the cross. What he did not count on was this whole resurrection thing, which we know was the plan from the beginning. And we have all the proof there is. I mean, either the witnesses are reliable or they're not. The fact that there are so many of them, I'd say they're pretty reliable. I know that uh, the CIA has exper experimented with mass hallucination drugs back in the day. Uh, I don't think that this is one of those. Uh, LSD had not yet been invented. Comment or question as we look at this? All right, let's move on with our story. Alright, so John chapter 20, verses 11 through 13. Somebody go ahead and read that. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Thank you. This is significant. Because Mary, everybody else is gone. Mary's still there, and she's in deep anguish. We're looking at the difference between questions versus belief. She knew Jesus had said he would rise again. She knew everything that the disciples did for the most part about, because publicly Jesus had talked about this, had proclaimed it. Um, it says that John believed. We don't know about Peter, if he believed or not. They didn't understand, and they went away, but she's still there. How deep does one's anguish need to be that she didn't notice they were angels? I want you to think for a moment of every instance when angels show up in the Bible. What's the immediate response? Fear. Fear. Not. Fear. Fear. Fall on their face. Fall flat on their face. Except for Abraham. He didn't know that he Abraham didn't know. It was hidden from them. But these are clearly angels. 
remember, she's standing there. It was, then she came, left, <coughs> excuse me, with the women to go get Peter and John. Peter and John run back. They're there. Mary and I guess maybe the other women, they show back up. Peter goes in the tomb. John follows. They look. They have a conversation. They come out. Everybody leaves. Mary's still there. There was nobody in the tomb. Nobody went past her into the tomb. She's standing there. And yet, as she's looking in, these two appear. She knew they were angels. They're, these are angels. And her anguish is so deep, the normal response is fear, trembling, and to fall face first. And usually the angels have to coax them to, to look up and everything else so they can deliver their message. That's how deep her anguish is. I mean, I don't know how deep an anguish that is. But she's that upset over the loss of the body of Jesus <laughs> that she doesn't even recognize that there's angels. Now, it's interesting. At his birth, angels came and proclaimed his birth. Here we have his resurrection. Not his death, his resurrection. And the angels are proclaiming his resurrection. He's not here. Why are you looking for him among the dead? Right? So we have angels here. And the thing is, she's still not getting it. She still doesn't get it. She's still sobbing. She is unconsolable. These angels are trying to console her, and they can't do it. This is the depth of the anguish that she has. Now, when we look at this whole scene, There are a lot of skeptical people out there, you know. One of the, the biggest things is that people, particularly our modern day, want to claim that Jesus uh, just swooned and he didn't really die on the cross. And when they put him in the cool tomb, he came back to, got up and just walked out. Well, the evidence is contrary to that. I don't know. Huh? And pushing that heavy stone away. Yeah, right, so, yeah, okay, so the heavy stone is one thing. The fact that the linens are laying there, laid out as is, um, is questionable. Uh, but they want to claim that it's, it, it, it's staged. Well, modern-day skeptics have, uh, are, are no different than ancient world skeptics. I don't know if you know who Josephus is. He is a historian from the time just after Christ. He did not believe. He did not believe Jesus rose from the dead. He believed that he likely swooned. So he had proposed the idea that Jesus had only swooned, recovered, um, and all that. He had no explanation for how the loose strips tied around him uh, would be the way they were, or how he got out of them, or <coughs> the sealed tomb. Um, but he could not ignore the nature of crucifixion. So Josephus had three of his friends taken, crucified, but not to the point of death. Oh God. He had them taken down off the cross before they died. Sealed them in a tomb. Two of them died despite having medical attention administered to them because their bodies had been so weakened by the whole ordeal on the cross. 
Um, so yeah, the it, it's been done. It's been tested. <laughs> Crucifixion leads to death, even if you're taken down before you die, and having your legs broken or a spear shoved through your side, uh, they die anyway. So the idea that that they swooned only, and that Jesus had somehow miraculously got out of the tomb and left uh, is not a viable option. But she's still not getting this. She's still upset. She still thinks something is, someone has taken him. For it, comment, question. It's interesting. We, we, we do the crucifixion story at least once a year around Easter time. We're familiar with it, but there's so much going on, isn't there? Yeah. So and much to, to consider and think about. And with Mary seeing all the miracles yeah. he did, you know, I'd stand there and think, oh, well, he's just a miracle. He did his own miracle, you know. Well, she's that she, if anybody, would have... Well, and she had, been, she had seven demons cast out of her. Yeah, right. I mean, Mary Magdalene is, uh, she's an interesting character. She's actually a, a, a woman of um, consequence. She's got money. We're going to see in a minute. She's going to make a comment that indicates that she could afford to rebury Jesus somewhere else. Um, so she's got money. My guess is with the demons in her, she probably... Uh, was a um, harlot? No, 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 not a harlot. She would have been a fortune teller or something oh, of that yeah, nature, uh, which would have made her quite a bit of money. Yeah. Um, we see that with Paul and the little girl in, uh, I believe it's Athens or Ephesus. Um, huh? Ephesus. Ephesus. And the little girl has the demon, is, you know, Paul cast it out, and now the guys basically sue him. <laughs> For a loss of income. <laughs> oh, Philippine. You're right. I can't remember all the. Well, Mary Magdalene is in the is in the same was likely in the same boat or whatever, except that she owned herself. She wasn't a slave um, with it. Let's look at this. Come on, there we go. John chapter twenty, verses fourteen through eighteen. Somebody. <clears throat> Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she, asked, she said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanini. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he said, and that he had said these things to her. Thank you. So here we have, this is the first witness, the first person to see the risen Lord. Here she is, Mary Magdalene, in her ultra grief, and she misidentifies him. Who did she think it was? 
gardener. Here's the risen Lord standing there, and you're so great. I mean, she was so grieved she didn't recognize the angels for angels. She doesn't recognize Jesus. What is it that brings her out of it? His voice. His voice. His voice. When, remember, just a few weeks back, what did he say that he was? He claimed one of the titles, one of the I Am's. Nope. It plays right with this. Nope. I am the resurrection? Nope. I'm the good shepherd. And my sheep, they, and they know my voice. It's here. He calls. Mary. All of a sudden, she recognizes him. He's the good shepherd. When he calls, his sheep know his voice. Here we have it. This is what finally pulls her out. Why are you so sure that he would be identifiable by looking? Because later you hear the two disciples saying, did we not know that was him? Did our hearts he, not burn? He hid himself from them, and then he reveals but himself. How do you know he's not doing that here? He's not hiding himself from her here. He's trying to comfort her. Because in, the, in a little bit, he's going to go and he's going to see the disciples. He's just going to walk through the wall. They instantly know who he is. He's not trying to hide himself for any reason. But the two you're talking about, he's trying to teach them something. And then they recognize him at the last minute. Um, but he's not trying to keep himself from her. He's trying to comfort her. And she's not having any of it. Well, that's, yeah, exactly. That's how upset she is. So when he says here, you know, that he has not yet returned to the Father, mm -hmm. does he return to the Father and then appear to the disciples? Or no. That's when his final... That's his ascension, okay. yes. Okay. That's when that transpires. But he's in that new glorified body. We see that she is also willing to act. She's willing to gather his body and take it and move it somewhere else. And as I said, when she is called by the shepherd, she finally recognizes and understands who is standing by her. The fact that she's the first witness is significant because Jesus always said that he came to those who were sick, those who were ill, and not to the powerful. That was the whole problem. That was the whole thing with the Pharisees and Sadducees. He refused to honor them, you know, by submitting himself to their authority, by coming to them and asking, hey, can I be king? I mean, they thought they were the power brokers. Jesus didn't need their authority to be who he was. And so they plotted against him. He hung out with people like Mary Magdalene, who was a sinner and full of demons. But who needed him more? And as he returns, 
resurrected, he returns to those people. He's going to, he comes to her first. Next week we'll look at it. He returns to the disciples. He doesn't go to the temple and proclaim himself to the Pharisees and Sadducees and have the you know big powwow and sit down and then you know they bring him out to the edge and say, hey, look, here we go, we got the our new king. You know, that the they can introduce him to the world so that they can be seen, you know, get the photo off. <laughs> you know? That, that's what they're looking for. That's what they wanted. They wanted to be included as part of it. His inner circle was fishermen, were demon-possessed women, tax collectors, not Pharisees, not Sadducees, not priests. You, you, you should be hanging out with us. Let, you know, we should be your, you know. Then it would have been all okay, but they're not. He comes, as he says to the sinner, to the poor in spirit. Our modern scholars have issues. The modern critical scholar who have suggested that the original disciples meant, when they talk about the resurrection, meant only that they had a spiritual experience, but did not claim that Jesus rose bodily, read their own modern culture into the New Testament. Resurrection, at the time of Christ, resurrection meant bodily resurrection and nothing else. There was no spiritual awakening, all this metaphysical nonsense that comes in the uh, early... Uh, 20th century um, with the, you know all the new philosophies and whatnot. Um, it meant physical resurrection, nothing else. And no one would have persecuted the disciples for claiming that they had had merely a spiritual experience. The desert was full of people like that. Mere belief in ghosts and apparitions, apparitions, was widespread and would not have gotten them in trouble with anyone. Most of the world believed in ghosts, spirits. They were animistic. The deserts were full of people and, and shamans that claimed to have these kinds of experiences. It's no big deal. The fact that they claimed that Jesus resurrected, that bodily, physical resurrection... That was the problem. Because with the exception of Lazarus, it just didn't really happen, did it? And they were terrified of the very idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, you look at the... Thought. Well, yeah, because the, uh, well, the, that was part of the fight between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in resurrection, that there was no afterlife. There was just this life. These are the Sadducees. They're mostly priests. They didn't believe in the, the world after here, which is why they shacked up with the Romans and made deals and all that so that they could live the good life here because there wasn't going to be anything else. The Pharisees, on the other hand, believed that there was a resurrection and all that, but they believed that they were the controllers of it. Um, you know, if you didn't do the law just right, the way we say it has to be, 
uh, you're not going to get resurrection and all that. And so the fact that Jesus is running around doing it, <coughs> and they're not doing it based on what he said, what they say, that, that was a big problem. The Greeks and the Romans, well, they, they often assassinated people, and they don't want those people coming back. <laughs> um, that's how the political power worked. I mean, come on, we all know Brutus, right? Or not, um, the Claudius. As the Praetorian Guard killed him off to install Nero. And then, you know, all those politics. It, it happened a lot. They would have people hauled off, take the property. And the idea of resurrection, well, but those people might come back again. I could be in trouble. That could be problematic. Uh, so that's why they were, everybody was against them. The idea that it was just spiritual context stuff that, you know, oh, we, we, we were having visions and all that. That is a modern idea. Um, this entire quasi-spiritualism that we see in our world, I have to get in touch with myself and I just need to find my reality and, and my spirit guide and I just have to become one with the universe. That, the end of the 1800s with the Enlightenment brought those philosophies and those concepts. The world before that had no idea or thought of this existential spiritualism that uh, we have hoisted on us today. They understood what the Bible was saying as bodily, physical resurrection. There was no other option. So, comment or question on a very simple story. Hmm. <laughs> yeah? okay. I was going to say, when I was younger, and I was thinking, like you said, who we came to first. He didn't go to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I always figured he picked his friends that he went back first to ease their suffering to say, I'm okay. And that was just how I interpreted it, like, you know, with heart that out of love he went to them first. I am absolutely 100% sure that's part of it. But they were going to be, he had trained them to be the messengers. And thus, they were his, um, what do you call it? Emissaries. Emissaries, thank you, that's the word I'm looking for. They, they were going to be the emissaries. They needed to know for sure. These guys were so convinced that they were willing to die for it. I don't know who it was. I, I tried to find the quote um, earlier this week, and I, couldn't, I could not remember who it was. I thought it was Lee Strobel, but I guess it wasn't. That when the whole Nixon debacle happened with Watergate, there were only a handful of people who knew exactly what happened. And the whole thing collapsed. The whole lie collapsed in days. They couldn't keep the secret that, it was a, that, that they had done the spying and all that. And whoever, I can't remember who it was, but whoever it was. Is that Chuck Colson? He's going to go into prison. It might have been. I, I, I couldn't find the quote. But he said that they couldn't hold the lie for more than a few days before the whole thing came out and unraveled and it was proven uh, to be true. That proved to him that it is impossible that somebody had stolen the body and made Christianity up, that the whole thing was built on a lie. 
because you had 12 guys or 11 guys who knew the truth as well as all the women that were present mm -hmm. and that they were all willing to die torturous deaths and nobody spilled the beans? Right. He said that's impossible because a political line that was much easier and no torture, they couldn't keep and all that. That over the course of 2,000 years, this hasn't changed and nobody's come back and said, well, yeah, we made it all up. Uh, just is beyond his belief. Because they are going to be, these, these 11, they're going to be martyred in some of the most horrific ways. Peter himself, we're told, was crucified upside down. Paul, who witnesses Christ later on, beheaded. Um, many of them die horrible deaths of stoning and the like. Um, you, you, under those kind of events, you just don't, you wouldn't hold on. It's like, no, 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 I'm sorry I made it up. Right, that's human nature. <laughs> Therefore, something transcending human nature is taking place here. And that's what we have. Um, our modern critical scholars can be critical all they want, but they're critically wrong with it. All right, a couple of things to take with us. First, we can challenge others to examine the truth of the empty tomb. We do not need to be afraid. Our modern world is trying to make Christians afraid of what we believe, that it's just, well, that's good for you, but it, you know, that it works for you. And all that. No, this is truth. This is historically true. There is more evidence proving the resurrection than there is for the existence of George Washington. <laughs> and George Washington was only 200 plus years ago. We have more documented evidence because the ancient world didn't believe it either. Josephus himself comes and experiments on his friends in order to figure out if this is even possible and found that it couldn't be. So we don't have to worry. We can challenge people. Find me the evidence. Show me historical documentation that this didn't occur. Secondly, we know that those who belong to Jesus will respond to his voice. He claimed that that was going to be the case. We see it with, Martha, or with uh, Mary. If we're his, we know it when he directs us, when he calls us to do and move and change. We know this is happening. We can know the truth in and of ourselves in a very real way. Let's close. Father, we thank you that you sent your son. We thank you that he willingly waged the war that we could not in the garden. Father, we thank you that he won that war in the tomb as you rose him from the dead, glorified him, and we worship him today and follow his voice. Help us to stay following that. In Jesus' name, amen.